This episode of Navarra Live is brought to you by listeners like you. Thank you. Welcome to Navarra Live. I'm Michael Walker, once again streaming um, from my bedroom while I try and get rid of the end of this cold. Um, I've been glued to my laptop and smartphone screen over the weekend, as I imagine you have too, looking at the horrific scenes coming out of Rafa right now. Um, It does seem to be getting to a point where it is so horrific, so undeniable what is going on, that some Western leaders are actually starting to change their tune a little bit. Not nearly enough. We will be discussing that. We will be giving you an update as to exactly what is um, going on in Rafa right now. I'm joined throughout the show by Helena, No Justice MTG. Um, Thank you for being here, Helena. I appreciate the invite as always. Obviously not good news today and I hope you recover from your cold very, very soon too. Uh, Looking forward to the show. Thank you very much. Straight into it. Israeli forces have conducted their most intense night of bombing yet on Gaza's southern city of Rafah. There are 1.5 million people in Rafa right now, and that is five times the usual population of that city. And it's five times the usual population because people have flooded there from the rest of Gaza. So Israel has bombed every single part of, uh, of Gaza and told people to flee south. They're now all in Rafa, and now Israel is bombing Rafa, right? Um, in terms of the, the density of this place, this place which is subject to this bombardment, there's over 16,000 people per square kilometre, which is three times more densely populated than London. This is where Israel are dropping their bombs. Um, in those attacks last night, 14 houses and three mosques were hit, um, and at least 67 people were killed, with that toll likely to rise. Among the dead was one young Girl. Now, we can't show you the full image on, on YouTube um, due to its graphic nature, but she's hanging from a metal bar, snagged by her sleeve after a bomb blast, and her body is mangled and her lower limbs are gone. Now, if you've been on sort of Twitter or X today, you've probably seen that image uncensored. Um, they're much less strict and with images on Twitter than they are on YouTube. And it is just so shocking, so appalling. I've seen lots of people sort of sharing it, saying, how can anyone possibly be going along with this? You see a young girl with her legs blown to pieces, hanging from a wall, right? If it, it, It's hard to imagine this scene being witnessed anywhere where sort of the, the country is an ally of ours, where we see them as people like us, and that not being sort of a national outcry, but when it's Palestinians, when it's the people our allies are bombing, people like to quietly ignore it. Um, of course, um, the image is you know, absolutely traumatic to view, very affecting, but this is just one of 12,000 children who have been killed in this war. That person, that, that young girl right, who had a future ahead of her, her legs blown to pieces, one of 12,000 children. Right? And a lot of them, uh, there are photographs of them having been killed. I was going to say, imagine if, we, if we'd had photographs of, of 12,000 children who'd been killed, what might have changed? But actually, you know, so many of these deaths have been live streamed across the world and still so little reaction from Western politicians. And I think we haven't seen a proportionate reaction from, from Western media either. Um, of course, it's not just dead people um, that are the tragedy of war. It's also people who have life-changing injuries. The bombardment last night 
injured at least 150 Palestinians. Now, Rafa's already overcrowded Kuwait hospital received 50 injured people shortly after the attack. Its spokesperson told the New York Times, quote, there were a lot of body parts following successive and sudden Israeli strikes. And the aftermath of the attack gives a sense of the scale of those strikes. Multiple buildings are completely destroyed and burned out. Meanwhile, Palestinians protected only by tents shelter around the crater left behind. Right? Now, when we say the city of Rafa, yes, there is a city of Rafa, but what we're talking about, what, what the majority of people are living in in Rafa are, are tents and shacks. As I say, the population of Rafa has increased fivefold. Um, there aren't fivefold more flats and houses in Rafa, so you now have a tent city. Exactly, actually, the kind of thing that Israeli politicians were celebrating after October 7th, we are going to make Gaza into a city of tents. And they have basically achieved that aim. Um, speaking on the BBC, Palestinian ambassador to the UK, Hassam Zomlot, gave this account of Israel's actions in Rafah. What are you hearing about the current situation in Rafah? It's killing fields. It's horror. It's carnage. It's genocide in every sense. To push people all the way to the very south of Gaza, as you just said, half of the population of Gaza are in Rafah now. This is the city of my birth. Uh, only last night, night, Israel has literally massacred from 60 to 100, and we don't know the exact number because still people are under rubble, including the family of my own, of my wife, uh, her aunt, uh, the husband, all the children, and all the grandchildren are gone. Uh, 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 this is the plan from day one. The plan was depopulating Gaza. It's an ethnic cleansing plan, obvious. And after the ICJ ruling, clear that uh, uh, the crime of genocide is plausible. Now Israel is officially on trial. What is the conversation here? And, and why are we discussing what is happening? What is happening is very clear. What we need to discuss is the responsibilities of responsible actors like the UK and what should we do to stop the, the genocide that is happening. I mean, I think that point about the responsibility of countries like the UK is so, so important. We're going to talk in more detail a little bit later about sort of how the statements from Western governments are changing slightly. But what matters are that we are still providing military aid to Israel. We're still providing diplomatic cover to Israel. Whatever they do, we are fundamentally implicated. Right? Fundamentally implicated. Um, that was Hassan Zomlo. He's from the Palestinian Authority. Um, Hamas have also released a statement. And they say the Nazi occupation army's attack on the city of Rafah tonight and its horrific massacres against defenseless civilians and displaced children, women and the elderly, which have claimed the lives of more than 100 martyrs so far, is considered a continuation of the genocidal war and the attempts at forced displacements it is waging against our Palestinian people. They added this, Netanyahu's terrorist government and his Nazi army ignore the decisions of the International Court of Justice that were issued two weeks ago and approved urgent measures that include halting any steps that be could be considered acts of genocide. Um, of course, I wouldn't personally um, compare the Israeli army to the Nazis, but you can imagine that you know, for people who are living in Gaza right now, there isn't really any comparison, any analogy fitting um, to the to the horrors they are are suffering. Um, describing the attack, one resident of the Shaburua um, refugee camp told the New York Times this: "The explosions caused a state of panic among men, women, and children alike. The state of panic pushed everyone to pack whatever they had." thinking that the ground invasion of Rafah had begun and that they would live what others have in Khan Yunis, Gaza City and the north. So there, a reference to um, Israel's impending ground operation in, in Rafah. Um, Netanyahu has instructed the IDF to move operations to Rafah. Joe Biden 
um, says he's against this, or at least he's against it, unless a credible and executable plan for the safety of the displaced can be put forward. Um, it doesn't seem like that's being put forward. On ABC's George Stephanopoulos show, um, Netanyahu didn't seem to have much of a plan in place. Where are those people supposed to go? This is 1.4 million people, many of whom have fled uh, northern Gaza. I mean, they're living in tents. Where are these people supposed to go? Well, Rafa is a, is a very small percentage of uh, Gaza, and I think it's about 10% or 15%. I mean, the estimates... Uh, that area north of Gaza that has already been cleared. Well, there's, there's an estimate of 1.4 million people in that area right now. And, and as the, as the Germ, German exactly. foreign minister That's said, why. they can't... They can't, they can't just disappear. Where are they supposed to go? No, well, the, the areas that we've cleared, north of Rafa, are uh, plenty of areas there. But uh, we are working out a detailed plan to do so. And that's what we've done up to now. We're not, uh, uh, we're not cavalier about this. This is part of our war effort to get civilians out of harm's way. It's part of Hamas's effort to keep them in harm's way. But we've so far succeeded, and we're going to succeed again. Those who say that under no circumstances should we enter Rafa are basically saying, lose the war. Keep Hamas there. That's what Netanyahu says when he's speaking English to Western audiences. Obviously, when he's talking to Israelis, he talks about treating Gazans like Amalek. So essentially, these are people we have to destroy, every man, woman, child, right? which is a better description of the war they have been fighting than the one he gave to George Stephanopoulos there. Um, as for updates on this front, so Israel's Channel 12 reports that the IDF will only allow people to move north in exchange for hostages. So, I mean, if, if that's true, I mean, that's a very clear war crime, okay? We're going we're gonna to pen you into this very small space and bomb you. Um, you can escape, but only if your government releases some hostages, right? The, the definition of collective punishment. Um, and I think this will be the big story in terms of sort of diplomacy and why, I mean, we'll talk about this in more detail later, but why some sort of Western um, politicians are starting to change their tune because Israel has for a long time um, talked about their desire of emptying the Gazans out or the Palestinians in Gaza and pushing um, them into Egypt. Now, this does look a bit like um, the end point of that plan, right? The plan always looked to be to bunch people up around Rafa and then to make a humanitarian situation so dire um, that the pressure to open the border into Egypt is so immense that it can't be resisted anymore. Um, the Americans are, are worried about that because it would destabilize Egypt, which is already a very fragile country and is an American ally, right? So this is the kind of thing, you know, I don't really think the White House and Congress care that much about Palestinian kids. They've been more than happy um, to watch as 12,000 of them have been killed, but they don't want the destabilization of an allied state and have a failed state in the, in the shape of Egypt. So this, I think, is why we are starting to see a change in tone from some Western politicians. Very interestingly, Egypt really um, doesn't seem to want to allow this plan to be carried out. They threatened to suspend the 1973 Camp David peace deal with Israel if they try to do it. Now, that would completely upturn um, the diplomacy in, in, in the Middle East as it has been um, for the last 40 years or so, um, I think that's actually the 1979 um, Camp David peace deal, 1973, and was the war. Um, Egypt also sent 40 additional tanks um, to the border with Rafa. While Israel was bombing Rafa, it also managed to rescue two hostages. 70-year-old Louis Hare was reunited with his family at an Israeli hospital after the rescue operation. 
60-year-old Fernando Simon Marmon was also rescued and reunited with family after a raid in which seven people were killed. It's only the second time that Israeli forces have succeeded in rescuing hostages since the war began. Speaking after the rescue, this was IDF spokesperson Daniel Hagari. This rescue mission underscores the importance of our ground operation in Gaza, including Rafah, when conditions allow. 134 men, women, children, and elderly are still being held hostage in Gaza. We have a moral obligation to bring all our hostages home. And that is an obligation that we will continue doing everything, everything in our power to fulfill. So Israel saying they've rescued two hostages, according to Hamas, two hostages were killed and eight injured in recent bombardments. Now, obviously, it's very difficult um, for, for anyone, in fact, to verify that. Um, Helena, I wanted to talk to you about this, this hostages issue. I mean, I, I think when sort of news um, channels over the past 24 hours have sort of reported, oh, Israel have rescued two hostages. Oh, and by the way, Rafa has been completely destroyed. I, I find that sort of morally repugnant. I also think, you know, the reason the Israelis are really pushing this argument is because Netanyahu the whole time has wanted to try and persuade both Israelis and the world that his war, the intention of the war, the, the bombardment of, of the Gazans is to get the hostages back. When I think it's been clear to everyone that the way to get hostages back is to make a deal. The, the war is not helping get hostages back. But now he's got two. I think the total number is now probably three um, who've been um, released via sort of these military efforts. Now he can say, oh, yes, we're, we're only fighting this war so that we can get the hostages back. It doesn't add up to me. Um, what do you make of, of that argument and how sort of significant um, Israel seemed to, to believe it is that they've, they, they've rescued these two people? I mean, you're absolutely right in your analysis from what you said there. I absolutely agree. You're right. It is only three hostages that have been rescued via military means. Over 30 hostages have been killed throughout the war, including people who've been killed by the IDF directly, the ones who are waving the white flag. So when you can see those over 100 hostages that have been released through prisoner exchanges, through diplomatic means, it's very clear to me which one of these two is the more effective in actually getting some of these hostages released. But then the issue becomes, is there any actual reason from the Israeli government to actually bring these hostages home, despite all of the calls of bring them home from both international and uh, Israeli civilians and groups and, and members of the population, and the answer, of course, is no. They've not had. They've been using this as a bargaining chip for a huge part of this war for a very, very long time to justify their military campaign. Well, of course, there was a march from from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, from people specifically calling on the government to have these hostages released. And the government's not been listening. In, in a meeting that Netanyahu had with hostages, or the families of hostages rather, it was reported there were plants in the audience trying to convince the other families there that the war should continue rather than go through diplomatic means to have these hostages returned. When, of course, their deliberate smokescreen of hostage retrieval, which has broadly failed outside of three very very individualized instances, is what they are using to justify 
all of these homes destroyed, all of these civilians killed, all of these children orphaned, all of these people dismembered, thousands of years of history and culture wiped out and obliterated, ISIS style, as Christopher Peterson had pointed out in similar ways, like thousands of years ago, she's just gone, wiped off the face of the earth immediately in these bombing campaigns. And the stated goals of hostage retrieval have barely come out from any of these military means at all. And on top of that, we have had an actual deal offered on hostage exchanges in return for, I believe it was a 45-day ceasefire that we're going to do to get some more hostages returned to Israel in a prisoner swap with international guarantees, has been offered by the Hamas Politburo, and it's been turned down by Netanyahu. So clearly their desire for the destruction and the ethnic cleansing of Gaza is far greater than their concern for the lives of the Israelis who are in perilous circumstances, really and truly, in their position taken hostage in Gaza. Yeah, I mean, just the, the horrors of of what is going on in Rafa right now as well. I mean, I, I, I've heard sort of people from the UN aid agency say the average that people have moved who are in Rafa right now is five times. So you've got some people who have moved 10 times, right? Five, five times being the average. So you have some people below that, some people above that. That's in, in, in three months. So people just constantly fleeing right for for weeks on end your home is going to get bombed so you move that place gets bombed so you moved maybe you move back because you think that might be safer and that gets bombed right you were just fleeing hell right? trapped in this tiny strip of land it's like torture on a mass scale let's move to some political reaction um western leaders are belatedly modifying their tone, and I say modifying because they haven't radically transformed um, what they're saying to Israel, but they've changed their tone. Um, here's the Foreign Secretary, or here's UK Foreign Secretary, David Cameron, speaking about the threat of an imminent ground invasion in Rafa. We are very concerned about what is happening in Rafa, because let's be clear, the people there, many of them who've moved four, five, six times before getting there, and uh, it really, we think, is impossible to, to see how you can, can fight a war amongst these people. There's nowhere for them to go. Uh, they can't go south into Egypt. They can't go north and back to their homes because many have been destroyed. So we are very concerned about the situation and we want Israel to stop and think very seriously before it takes any further action. But above all, what we want is an immediate pause in the fighting. We want that pause to lead to a ceasefire a sustainable ceasefire without a return um, to further fighting. That's what should happen now. Uh, we need to get those hostages out, including the British nationals. We need to get the aid in. The best way to do that is stop the fighting now and turn that into a permanent sustainable ceasefire. Two problems with that. One, it's three months too late. Okay. Uh, this idea, oh, it was fine to bomb every other city in, in Gaza until it was completely destroyed and would take a decade to rebuild, killing you know, 30 odd thousand people. But now, oh, now actually they've, cr they've crossed some sort of arbitrary red line, which means that now suddenly we have a problem with it. The second big problem, right? They're just words. There are some very concrete things the United Kingdom could do to pressure Israel, right? We could cut off aid. We could apply sanctions. We do that to Russia. There's no reason why we can't apply sanctions to a rogue state that's killing thousands of civilians. The Israelis have killed we think twice as many civilians in Gaza over the past three months of Russia has killed in Ukraine over the past two years. So the idea, oh, we, can, we, can, we can't possibly put Israel in the same category as Russia, is ridiculous if you're looking at the damage of the wars they're fighting. I mean, also, if you're looking at the, the extent to which I mean, they've broken international law, 
Russia, that was a war of aggression. We've always been very clear that was a war of aggression. That's illegal. Israel have been undergoing or overseeing what everyone acknowledges is an illegal occupation of Palestine, of the West Bank and Gaza for 56 years. Right? So this is a rogue state, but we don't treat it like one. Every now and again, we talk about it like maybe it is one. But even that, those words, they should stop and they should think. Right? This is not a toddler. This is a nuclear armed state, which is carrying out a genocidal war. It's too little, too late. Um, talking of too little, too late, Labour leader Keir Starmer, um, he hasn't commented at all um, on the latest assault on Rafa. But yesterday he said this, um, there are over 1.4 million displaced Palestinians in Rafa and it is the gateway to aid for Gaza. An Israeli offensive there would be catastrophic. The fighting must stop now. We need a sustainable ceasefire. Even even now, right, that, that phrasing I just find, so the fighting must stop now. We need a sustainable ceasefire, right? Now, we need a sustainable ceasefire. We need an immediate ceasefire would be much stronger for me. We need a sustainable ceasefire. What does that mean? I mean, Labour have been arguing for a very long time, oh, we don't want an immediate ceasefire. We only want a ceasefire when it's sustainable. And what does that mean? It's so ambiguous that you're basically giving um, you know, Netanyahu a blank check. The fighting must stop now. What about the bombardment of, of Rafa? might stop now. This idea, oh, there's just these two sides. If only they'd stop fighting. There are 1.5 million people who've been pushed into a small city with absolutely nowhere to go who are being bombed from the air, right? It's not a case of can they stop fighting? It's can this nuclear-powered nation stop bombing innocent civilians who have nowhere to go, right? It's still just very, very weak. Um, in contrast to UK politicians, the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Volker Tuk, had stronger words for Israel. He said this, a potential full-fledged military incursion into Rafah, where some 1.5 million Palestinians are packed against the Egyptian border with nowhere further to flee, is terrifying, given the prospect that an extremely high number of civilians, again, mostly children and women, will likely be killed and injured. Israel must comply with the legally binding orders issued by the International Court of Justice and with the full span of international humanitarian law. Those who defy international law have been put on notice. Accountability must follow. So in terms of accountability, um, the International Criminal Court play a key role. And the chief prosecutor, Karim Khan, has issued a warning to Israel saying this, my office has an ongoing and active investigation into the situation in the state of Palestine. This is being taken forward as a matter of the utmost urgency with a view to bringing to justice those responsible for Rome statute crimes. All wars have rules and the laws applicable to armed conflict cannot be interpreted so as to render them hollow or devoid of meaning. This has been my consistent message, including from Ramallah last year. Since that time, I have not seen any discernible change in conduct by Israel. We can also go to the EU's foreign representative, Joseph Orrell, and this is his view on Israel's approach to Rafa. Many people around the world, even the US, who is the strongest supporter of Israel, consider it by the President Biden himself that this action is disproportionate, that the toll of people being killed, civilians being killed, is unbearable, and warning Israel not to continue this way. But my question is, apart from words, what else do you think it has to be done? If you believe that the toll of death is too high, do you have uh, any possibility to make it lower? 
course, your answer to that, yeah. representative, what can the Sorry? European Union do beyond words? Do you have a proposal for what the European Union should do beyond words? Well, the European Union is not providing arms to Israel. Others do. Burrell's suggestion um, that people should take more action to stop states selling arms to Israel is very interesting. Um, I mean, uh, I think it's clear that all Western governments have been incredibly slow on this, and they still are incredibly slow on this, although courts are beginning to intervene. Um, a coalition of human rights groups in the Netherlands has had a victory in the courts. A Dutch court has ordered the Netherlands to halt the export of F-35 jet parts to Israel after the groups brought a case against the government in the Netherlands. It's illegal to sell arms to powers that might use them for humanitarian um, abuses. Um, I think this is the case in, in most Western states, but they find a way to essentially um, ignore that reality. Unless, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a state who's fallen out of favor with um, the West. You know, these things don't tend to be particularly governed by moral rules, but rather strategic or opportunistic ones. Um, the Dutch government had argued that Israel was complying with international law. Um, you'd be a pretty goddamn shit judge if you believe that argument. Um, the Dutch court said this, it is undeniable there is a clear risk the exported F-35 parts are used in serious violations of international humanitarian law. Israel does not take sufficient account of the consequences for the civilian population when conducting its attacks. Now, the Dutch government has seven days to comply or appeal to the Supreme Court. Um, so that could be significant. I mean, it wouldn't be significant in the sense that if the Netherlands no longer supplies arms to, to Israel, it would have to significantly change its actions. But if that sets a precedent and other European countries follow, that could be significant. It would obviously be more significant if the United States got involved. Um, speaking of the United States, as this deadly assault was going on in Rafa, most Americans were watching the Super Bowl um, during that game, or after that game, in fact, Joe Biden um, posted this on Twitter, just like we drew it up like, alongside a picture of Biden with laser eyes. Now, this would, I mean, uh, in another circumstance, potentially been an entertaining tweet. He's mocking a right-wing conspiracy theory about Taylor Swift and American football player Travis Kelsey. Um, so the right-wing conspiracy is that their relationship was fabricated um, in order to damage Trump um, and, the, you know, Kelsey's team were helped to win the Super Bowl. Fine, fine to make a joke about that. But to post that while... A genocidal action is taking place with your full-throated support. That changes things, right? That changes things. Joe Biden has said today, apparently he said that Netanyahu was an asshole. Right? So he's getting really tough on Netanyahu now, briefing that in private he called him an asshole. Right? How about ending your unconditional support for military aid to that nation? Right? The Americans can have consequences when it comes to what Israel do. They could pick up the phone today and stop this bombardment of Rafa. Instead, Joe Biden likes to pretend to, you know, what could I possibly do? Oh, by the way, I called him an asshole. <laughs> how, how big and strong am I? It's completely pathetic. Um, going back to the Super Bowl, um, this was an occasion, obviously, millions and millions of Americans watching, and there was some Israeli propaganda for them all to view. Um, several ads paid for by the Israeli government aired on channels that were streaming the game. <sighs> To all the dads, the funny ones, the silly ones, 
the strong ones, the adventurous ones. To all the dads held in captivity by Hamas for over 120 days, we vow to bring you home. We vow to bring them home by carrying out our genocidal war, which doesn't actually save hostages apart from these two, right? It's, you probably killed a lot more hostages than they've saved by this military campaign. Helena, um, I, I want your comments on, you know, much of what we talked about, the Super Bowl ads, but then also this very belated change of tune from Western politicians. You know, they're, they're now saying, oh, no, it would, it would be terrible to bomb people who don't have anywhere to go. Like, well, why has that principle suddenly come into play when they've been completely ignoring that over the past three months? What do you think is going on here? I mean, I think it seems every time I come on this show, I have to start off my segment with, once again, what the left have been saying forever has been proven to be correct. In the run-up to the conflict, we said if there's not diplomatic relations established in the area, conflict will escalate, and it has done. We said that if we allow there to be an, a military incursion into Gaza, we'll see huge amounts of death and destruction, and we have done. We said that if we allow them to be able to engage in a forced transfer of the population from the north to the south, they would not stop there, and we were proven correct. And now we're at the point where their backs are against the wall in Rafa. The ethnic cleansing is right at the fever pitch that it could get to. We said that it would happen and it has done. Did anybody pay attention to us? No. And it's just infuriating to be at this point where we get mealy-mouthed comments on the potential for huge amounts of human casualty with this Rafa invasion from people like our government and our opposition. It's pathetic. It is absolutely that I'm honestly, I'm so furious at the level to which our politicians have just allowed this to happen with rhetoric, with diplomatic support, with the arms that we sell them, and any amount of pushback against this, whilst Israel are taken to the ICJ over claims of committing genocide. And now, now that the game is up and huge amounts, I mean, the whole of northern Gaza is just turned into uh, a wasteland at this point. Was it 60% of buildings in the Gaza Strip are now destroyed or damaged? And now, now they take pipe up. Now, now we've gone too far now. Things have gotten to the point where we, where we have to actually put out comments, uh, actually rejecting an action that's being taken by Israel, rather than just they can do what they want as long as they defend themselves with international law, whilst international laws are violated left, right and centre, and no specific comments are made about their actions. No, no comments about these things at all. As for Joe Biden, as for Joe Biden, right? Oh yeah, he calls him an asshole, right? Are you correct to point out one phone call could potentially have ended this conflict if Biden just said, enough's enough, we have to stop. This is how the conflict in Lebanon finished in the 80s when uh, Menachem Begin was phoned up by Ronald Reagan, of all people, neocon extraordinaire, and told him that enough was enough in Lebanon. But unfortunately, Biden is just a spineless little wretch. I'd hate to be rude about him, but that's literally what you get when you have a shuffling cadaver in the White House, again, essentially our bulwark against what could be potentially happening in the Middle East, we're both happening now and in a future Trump presidency. And he doesn't even have the spine to stand up to Netanyahu in telling him not to do this genocidal campaign. And on top of that, we'll, we'll bypass Congress to send billions of dollars in aid and weapons to Israel. It's shameless, it's completely indefensible, and it's too late. It's too late for these people to turn back the clocks of the last four months of impunity that they've allowed Israel to engage in their genocidal campaign. 
I hate to be emotional. I, I want to be be objective and to be matter of fact, but I just cannot get rid of my emotions because it's just so obscene that this is allowed to get this far at this point. It would be, well, forgivable is the wrong word, but I would at least take it seriously, right? If you heard a change of tune from these Western politicians and they say, okay, it's gone too far. We are going to take serious action now to stop it. As you say, we pick up a phone call, pick up a phone, call an Israeli president, say, if you don't stop this, we're going to withdraw your aid and we're going to, you know, uh, we're going to stop vetoing um, the Security Council resolutions for you to stop, right? It would be so easy for the Americans to stop them. If they did that now, right? Yeah, I still wouldn't forgive them for the last three months, but I would at least take it seriously. It would be a big deal. But the United States shifting from unconditional support for Israel while speaking highly of them in public to unconditional support of Israel while speaking about them in public in a way which is a bit mean, right? That is not a radical shift. And it's not a shift which is going to save any lives. Let's go to our next story. Since the start of Israel's war on Gaza, Labour has used trumped-up charges of anti-Semitism to kick out two of its left-wing MPs. At the end of October, Labour suspended Andy MacDonald for a speech he gave at a Palestinian demonstration. And this was the offending statement, we will not rest until we have justice, until all people, Israelis and Palestinians between the river and the sea, can live in peaceful liberty. The most anodyne statement imaginable in this situation got him suspended. Then, late last month, Kate Osamor was suspended, and that was for sending this email. Tomorrow is Holocaust Memorial Day, an international day to remember the six million Jews murdered during the Holocaust, the millions of other people murdered under Nazi persecution of other groups, and more recent genocides in Cambodia, Rwanda, Bosnia, and now Gaza. So this was sent the day after, in fact, the International Court of Justice had ruled that it was plausible that Israel were committing a genocide in Gaza. So including Gaza in that list, to me, seems perfectly reasonable. But that was too much. She lost the whip. Even after, in fact, sort of retracting and apologizing, she ended up saying, oh, you know, it's, it's, it was a tweet I was a bit annoyed about, actually, because she said the humanitarian catastrophe or the humanitarian disaster in Gaza, you know, shouldn't be compared to the Holocaust or whatever. Now, what's happening in Gaza isn't a humanitarian disaster. It's potentially a genocide. It's a genocidal war. I think it's very obvious it's a genocidal war. Both Osamore and Andy McDonald are still without the Labour whip. Right, still without the Labour whip. And the reason this matters is because presumably that means they won't be able to stand at the next general election. So very, very significant. This was all justified in the name of a zero-tolerance approach to anti-Semitism. And that has apparently gone out the window. Labour's candidate for the Rochdale by-election is called Azar Ali, and he's been all over the papers this weekend because of a comment he made to a meeting soon after the October the 7th attacks. And he's quoted in the mail on Sunday as having said this, the Egyptians are saying that they warned Israel 10 days earlier. Americans warned them a day before that there's something happen, happening. They deliberately took the security off. They allowed that massacre that gives them the green light to do whatever they bloody want. Now, you will notice there are some ellipses, there's some dot, dot, dots um, in that quote from the Mail on Sunday. I would like to see the full thing um, before making sort of a definitive judgment. But in any case, Labour have said this is an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory, but they're willing to give the candidate the benefit of the doubt. On Sky News, Nick Thomas-Simons explained the party's position. The comments were completely wrong. They were totally uh, unacceptable and they in no way represent the views of the Labour Party. What Councillor Ali has also said, he's 
that he apologizes unreservedly. He retracts the comments. And he's also said, which I think is hugely important, that he understands now the gravity, the scale of the offense that's been caused and knows he needs to rebuild trust, huge task ahead of him with the Jewish community. And that is what I would now expect him to get on to do. Why should the Jewish community accept his apology? <clears throat> well, look, I take what Councillor Ali has said at face value. He said he fell for an online conspiracy theory, and that does not represent uh, his view. But he has to earn trust back. He has to now do that engagement uh, that he needs to do to try to rebuild that trust. I also take into account, too, what Dame Louise Elman has said about Councillor Ali, who she's known over many years, standing alongside her when she was subject to anti-Semitic attacks and her judgment that this is out of character. Uh, and that is uh, why I think taking into account the immediate apology, as I say, the retraction, the the, the genuine desire now uh, to rebuild trust, I think they are very, very important factors now. Completely pathetic, right? He's apologised. Oh, and this is key. This is key. Louise Elman likes him. So he couldn't possibly, this goes, you know, he might have read an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. You know, by the way, I don't necessarily think that's an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. Right, you you often get theories that something or other was sort of allowed to happen. Now, I don't, you know, in this case, I don't think the evidence suggests that the Israeli government wanted October the seventh to happen. I mean, to me, um, the explanation of how it was able to happen has has more to do with the fact that the Israelis sort of underestimated what Hamas were capable of, and they saw their priority as stealing more land in the West Bank, so they sort of you know stopped paying so much attention to the Gaza Strip. I don't, I don't think um, Netanyahu wanted that to happen as an excuse to ethnically cleanse Gaza, right? But, you know, I don't think positing that is is necessarily anti-Semitic. But the Labour Party is saying this is an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory, but we're going to give them, them the benefit of the doubt. He just, he read it online and, you know, who doesn't read something online and then and then believe it, right? Why shouldn't they be um, a representative in, in the nation's parliament? Key here, I think, I'm going to talk you through two things. So one, the, the, the nature of the apology he made which I think is significant, and then this relationship with Louise Elman, right? So unlike with Andy McDonald and Kate Osamore, who didn't actually do anything wrong, Azhar Ali is fine to stay in the party because of this apology. And let's take a look at it. I apologize unreservedly to the Jewish community for my comments, which were deeply offensive, ignorant, and false. Hamas's horrific terror attack was the responsibility of Hamas alone, and they are still holding hostages who must be released. So actually, let's stay on this one a moment, because what he said, He's gone from something which I think is false. Right? I don't think Israel did allow the attack in in, in Israel on, on purpose. Sorry. I don't think the Israeli government sort of actively um, allowed Hamas to commit that atrocity as an excuse um, to do what they've done in, in, in Gaza. Right? I think that's false. But it's also false to say Hamas's horrific terror attack was the responsibility of Hamas alone. Right? Yes, I, I think Hamas are, uh, are very much responsible for what they did, right, for killing civilians. But they don't have sole responsibility, right? That attack would not have happened if Gaza hadn't been subject to Israeli occupation for 56 years. I think you can go too far in one direction where you say, 
any means necessary, anything is justified because you're in a situation of occupation. I don't actually think that if you're living under occupation, anything is justified. And I think Hamas did stuff that, that wasn't justified. But the idea that you can isolate that and say purely, oh, this is 100% Hamas's responsibility. It's just because they're evil people. Clearly, clearly, the context of the October the 7th attack was decades of occupation, a 16-year siege, right? People didn't just do this um, because of some sort of demonic hatred of, of people of a different ethnicity. They did it because they've been living under colonial occupation for a very, very goddamn long time. So he's gone from one falsity to another. Um, the apology continues. October the 7th was the greatest loss of Jewish life in a single day since the Holocaust, and Jews in the UK and across the world are living in fear of rising anti-Semitism. He says, I will urgently apologize to Jewish leaders for my inexcusable comments. The Labour Party has changed unrecognizably under Keir Starmer's leadership. He has my full support in delivering the change Britain needs. So he's gone from one false statement to another. This is a sign of someone, by the way, with absolutely zero principles or integrity, which is probably why the Labour Party feel comfortable keeping him as an MP. Right? Andy MacDonald had some principles. He said something true and perfectly reasonable, which is that he wants Palestinians and Israelis to live in freedom and equality between the river and the sea. The most anodyne statement I could imagine when it comes to the Middle East. He didn't apologize because he shouldn't have apologized. He has some principles. With Kate Osamore, she apologized for offense caused. She didn't say, oh, it's completely dreadful to say that Gaza is a genocide. You know, if, if, if this was a Zahra Ali, he'd say like, oh, no, it's, it's completely anti-Semitic to say the, the, the atrocities in Gaza are a genocide. No, Kate Osamore didn't do that, right? Because you've got some principles. But this guy has no principles and therefore he can stay in the party. You also see at the end he added, oh, and by the way, the Labour Party has changed so much under Keir Starmer. Uh, yeah, it's completely different to under that horrible Jeremy Corbyn. I've got nothing to do with that guy. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just an innocent guy who reads uh, uh, conspiracy theories on the internet. Yeah, they're anti-Semitic, but who doesn't believe these things? Oh, by the way, Jeremy Corbyn, horrible, kissed I'm a lovely, lovely, lovely. I'll say whatever they want. Please let me continue to be a Labour MP. Just an incredibly pathetic sequence of events, right? And let's move on to Louise Alman because you saw in that clip with um, Nick Thomas Simons, he said, oh, it's a, you know, he, he couldn't possibly be anti-Semitic. Louise Alman says it's very much out of character. Um, Louise Alman, um, by the way, has been very instrumental, actually, in kicking out some other Labour MPs. So we've talked about Andy McDonald. When he was suspended, Louise Alman tweeted this, the Labour Party is right to suspend the whip from Andy McDonald when Jews are experiencing unprecedented levels of anti-Semitism, evoking the river to the sea is deeply provocative and irresponsible. Labour is acting on its pledge to make the party a safe place for Jews. She also went on Newsnight twice in three days to defend the suspension. This was her first appearance. What do you make of, of James Schneider's point that it is about context, actually, and that it's perfectly possible to read this as the two-state uh, two solution, people living in peace together? The context of angry crowds calling for jihad and with their posters after the massacre of so many Jewish people, using a phrase that is very well known to mean the elimination of the state of Israel is outrageous. The way to resolve the very tragic conflict between Israelis and Palestinians is that there to be two states, an Israeli state and a Palestinian state, and for those that work in harmony. Remember what he said, right? We won't rest until we have justice, until all people, Israelis and Palestinians between the river and the sea can live in peaceful liberty, right? Now, even the phrase Israelis and Palestinians implies that you've got either two states or sort of two nations in a sort of binational situation, 
right? He's not talking about clearing Jews out from the Middle East. He's used the phrase Israelis, right? It's completely consistent with what she said there, actually, with what Louise Elman said there. But no, it's even, even the possibility that you're using this phrase, uh, this is enough to get you kicked out of the Labour Party, right? But Andy McDonald has to go. He has to go. And it's because it's not a line that the, the Israeli government like. And Louise Elman is pretty happy to cozy up to the Israeli government. Um, here's Louise Elman last month sitting next to Israeli President Isaac Herzog, who had previously implied no one in Gaza is innocent by saying an entire nation is responsible for October the 7th. Now, that was cited at the International Court of Justice um, as incitement and dehumanizing language. Helena, this is such a joke. Such a joke, right? All of these people, and it's not just Louise Elman, I've seen all of the people who've been out to say, oh, Andy McDonald, he has to go. Kate Osmore has to go. Jeremy Corbyn has to be suspended. They're all out on Twitter this weekend. Now, lots of people from the Jewish labor movement and all of these sort of right-wing pro-Israel people saying, oh, it's important to be forgiving. It's important to be forgiving of people who make mistakes, right? because They're not afraid of this guy because he has absolutely zero principles. They're terrified of anyone who has principles. They have to be kicked out. But if, you, if you're just an idiot, right? <laughs> just an idiot who believes some implausible things oh yeah come join the party i think we will have to unfortunately realize that labor has become a hotbed of anti-semitism under the current leadership and the fish rots from the head all he keir starmer has to do is apologize he knows what he must do Obviously, that is a little bit of a reference to the kind of things people were saying under the previous Labour leadership. I don't mean these things in earnest, but it is very stark, the difference in the way people will treat these things, depending on which faction of the party is in charge, which faction of the party are the ones who've made the comments. And it is completely, I mean, even journalists are starting to notice now, there was a complete omerta on the issue of factionism being weaponized against people, as has been detailed in places like the Chakrabarti report and within the Ford report, being weaponized against people who are pro-Palestine in terms of things that they do and say that allows them to be excised from the party membership, have the whip withdrawn that happened all the way through uh, plenty of the, the 2015 to, to present day period. If you're pro-Palestine explicitly and have those principles that you won't renege on with regards to Palestine, then you can be under the frame of being trot-hunted by Labour HQ, quote-unquote, as was being detailed within the Ford report. Yet somebody who will just... It, when they get called out and they will then just take the the opposite position and have no principles, they suddenly they get a free pass, especially when it might be politically advantageous to the Labour Party in an important by-election coming up sometime soon to prove just how unpopular the Conservative Party are in national polls. And the, I mean, the literally was journalists from the Spectator and the FT said, isn't it weird how that there's this there's this difference between what happened between Azar Ali and Andy McDonald and Kate Osman? I'm like, yeah, it's which factions they're from. Weird how you've not reported on it before now. Hmm, what a strange coincidence that we just forgot about this when the left were being excised from the party. And now they're all gone. Suddenly they feel happy to report on these things within the media narrative. What I would point out, though, is if he is being allowed to stand and we're not having a proper disciplinary process on these things because of the apologies that he's given, but the part of the ECHR, sorry, the EHRC report into the Labour Party was the commitment for the leader of the opposition office to not interfere with ongoing disciplinary matters with regards to things like anti-Semitism, which this doesn't seem, in my personal opinion, to be within the spirit of what was being told to them in the EHRC report that's been detailed here. 
It's very, very strange to me. One thing I would point out at the end, one thing part of disagreement I have, I do think there is an anti-Semitic nature to what Azar Ali has said here. I don't think that he is an anti-Semite, but I think there's a character of these kind of the puppet master of the Jewish people making things happen for their own benefit, rather than it being a, as you say, a result of the Israelis' hubris, in, or the Israeli government's hubris specifically, in thinking that all of this information that they legitimately got from Egypt about the potential for an invasion from Gaza and Hamas's military capabilities, like the government, Shin Bet, the Foreign Office, none of these people took these claims from Egypt seriously. And they kept removing military capabilities from Gaza to be aggressive in their incursions into the West Bank, like in Janine, like in Nablus, like in Al-Aqsa. So whilst it's very tempting, and I've seen this conspiracy theory about this deliberate stand-down order, whatever it would be. I've seen this conspiracy theory, conspiracy theory a lot on the internet, and I just wanted to push back in a materialist analysis here, because at the end of the day, but one thing that matters to Netanyahu more than the colonial project is his own political career, and this has been the death knell for his political career. There's no way that he wanted this, given he's a man who stands on his position of protecting Israel's security whilst expanding into the West Bank. So I don't think there's any plausible way of actually iterating out the conspiracy theory that's gone on here. So I would just want to push back slightly on those claims that, it, that there's no anti-Semitism potentially involved here. Even if you didn't mean it to be, I think that it certainly has a lot of the kind of tropes that you see along with other anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. We could debate the nuances of this, but my voice is not going to hold out for much longer. Um, our audience might also remember I introduced at the start that we were going to talk about Donald Trump and NATO. We're going to save that until... Tomorrow. Um, Helena, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Thank you again. I do appreciate coming on every time again, uh, hopefully in better circumstances next time, but and hopefully get well soon, Michael, as well. Thank you very much. And um, thank you everyone for watching this evening. Come back tomorrow night and um, for another live stream from 6 pm. For now, you've been watching Navarra Media. Good night. This broadcast is brought to you by Navarra Media. Go to navaramedia.com/slash support.